Thanks for joining us for Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. We are a fellowship committed to knowing community as God's family and sharing the food from our table with others. Every member of Christ's family should be well-nourished from God's Word, and in that Word we find all we need to live good and God-honoring lives. To contact us, please call us at 208-331-4096. And now here for a brief introduction is our speaker, Joel Van Hoogen. Paul requests prayers for open doors for the missionaries of the gospel in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2-4. through 4. There he writes, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am now in prison, that I may make it clear as I ought to speak it. Pray for open doors. Pray with thanksgiving, remembering the door God opened to find you. Pray watchfully, recalling that we have an enemy who is opposed to every work of God. Pray, pray, pray. And don't stop praying. Be steadfast. God, open doors. Steadfast. The enemy will not tire in his labor to blind the minds of individuals from the glory and the good news that is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so we must not tire in our prayers. We are to learningly watch over and pray persistently and longingly. God is showing my generation how to pray for lost people in a way that we would not want to learn it. My generation is the first generation a long time within the evangelical fellowship or within the Christian church that did not learn how to pray from generations past. There are a number of you here right now, younger ones, that would not even know what a Wednesday night prayer meeting is. When I grew up, they were going on still. You couldn't miss Sunday morning, you couldn't miss Sunday evening, and you certainly couldn't miss Wednesday night. And all of the church gathered to pray. It was before youth groups had begun. It was before the time when the young people went off into the different age groups and did their high school things and their junior high things and their young kids things. It was a time when everyone gathered, including the children, and they gathered in the church to intercede and pray. And, you know, there wasn't a lot of involvement for the kids but to listen to the adults praying, kneeling alongside of them as they prayed. I have to go back a long time in my memory to the time before those new inventions came in, before those new innovations came in, in which the kids got a reprieve from being in the Wednesday night prayer meeting because we found that churches could be more dynamic if we had a really good youth group for the kids. But prior to that, I remember those occasions, five, six years old, when I was kneeling next to my father as the church was praying, counting, imagining things, periodically visiting in on the prayers, but somewhere in the late 60s or the 70s, New innovations came to build the church more rapidly and much more successfully and to appeal to a younger generation. That's the generation we have now. But prior to that, generation upon generation upon generation was taught from the generation before how to intercede and pray and prevail persistently and longingly for God to work and to move and not mine. Actually, about 20 years ago or so, I was visiting with a man at a conference in South Carolina. This man 
had been one of the few people I knew that was a part of a really significant revival that in the 40s or 50s had swept through some of the Indian villages and tribes in eastern Canada. And I began to ask him to share with me an account of those things and those stories, and he did, and it was very wonderful. And he wasn't sensational all, but just sharing how God, the Spirit, took hold and the gospel began to sweep as a fire through those communities and how the Christians were being brought back to holiness. And I asked him, Reverend Bailey, why is it that my generation, why has it been so long in my generation, it seems has been the first evangelical generation that's not seen a significant work of revival among our nation and our churches. And his answer was point blank, because your generation is the first generation has not been taught how to prevail in prayer from the generation prior to it. Yours is the first generation that hasn't been taught that. So you don't know how to pray longingly and steadfastly and watchfully and hopefully. You've not learned it from the generation before. We're learning it now, though. We're learning it now. Because God is taking and allowing our children to depart from us. Our children to depart from the faith. And they're not coming back. And we're finding ourselves pleading with God for our own sons and our own daughters that he would waken them and stir them and turn their hearts to them. We find it invading our prayer life when we go to bless our cereal in the morning, our lunchtime, our evening prayers. All of our prayers are being consumed with this desire that, oh God, restore my child to you. And God is teaching us how to prevail in prayer. And God is teaching this generation the inner importance of intercession. And we cannot forget it. We must steadfastly pray. We must watchfully pray. We must hopefully pray for them. And as we pray, learn the work of prayer for missions and for all those around the world. These are the things we talk about this morning. I want to press one other thing upon you. Here's one last point here. This is a prayer requested by somebody who is at the ready. This is a prayer requested by somebody who is ready to go and seize the opportunity. And when we pray, we have to be at the ready ourselves. We have to be ready to go to whoever God lifts up before us with the gospel of peace. Keep in mind that at the time that Paul is requesting this prayer, he's in prison. He's actually in prison for the very thing that he's requesting prayer about. He's in prison for the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he isn't at this moment in time asking that God would at some point in time release him from his jail cell. He's not saying, would you pray that somewhere off in the future, God will open a door for me so that I can once again give witness to Jesus Christ. That's not what Paul is asking. What Paul is saying is, ask God to give me an open door right now, right here to make known the mystery of Christ, to make known His death, His resurrection, His drawing near to every heart, the response that would come if they would but receive Him and open the hearts to Him of forgiveness and eternal life. Pray that my jail cell may be filled with open doors to preach the gospel. That's what he's asking for. By the way, this prayer request that Paul gives, it was made and it was answered. If you look at the books that were written when Paul was in prison in Rome, they probably are the books first of Colossians, then Philemon, then Ephesians, and finally Philippians. Actually, if you go to Acts chapter 28, you'll find out that when Paul arrives in Rome for his imprisonment, that Paul immediately begins to establish a witness to the Jewish population in Rome. And he begins to proclaim to them the gospel. 
And in Acts chapter 28, verse 24, we're told that some were being persuaded by the things that were spoken while others would not believe. But Paul was already, while he was in prison, searching for an open door and for those who would listen to him. But finally, in that last letter that he wrote during his imprisonment in Rome, in Philippians chapter 1, Paul gives an overview of what God has done. He gives a report on the prayers that have been made for him. In verses 12 and 14 of Philippians chapter 1, listen to what Paul says while he's in jail. But I want you to know, brothers, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. In prison, in jail cells, doors were opening up. If you've been asking God to change your circumstances so that you could be a witness for Him, Lord, you know, give me a different job. Lord, I'm so busy. I have so many things going on in my life. Change my circumstances so that I can be used to be a witness for you. Well, brothers and sisters, you're doing the wrong thing. (laughs) You're praying in the wrong way. You pray that God would open your eyes to see the open doors in the various constricting places where you find yourself right now. In the places where God has you. In the neighborhoods, in the jobs, in the communities, in the cells, in the limiting places. God, open the door before me. I'm ready. I'm ready to be used by you. You be at the ready in every place. And as you pray for those open doors to open before you, Remember those dark lands where people have not heard the gospel yet, where others have gone, and watch over it. God, keep your workers ready, always ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within them. God, make them press in every situation towards that opening. God, may we be steadfast and watchful and hopefully praying for them and for ourselves as well always at the ready to share your good news. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. There is not a shortage of information on how we ought to pray for the progress of your gospel through our land and the lands afar off. The direction, the instruction, the encouragement, the very direct calls should teach us, O God, to not take any of this lightly. Lord, do we know right now that you are before us and we are before you? Have we truly counted in this week past oh, the blessings that are ours that you have given us? Blessings of salvation and blessings of just provisions in this land. How rich we are. How poor are they? We pray for our children, our sons and our daughters who have gone astray, become lost in the cacophony of sounds and temptations, become lost in the pattern of a society and age that is pursuing above everything else self-actualization and self-fulfillment and pleasure. We've bowed before 
gods that have been suggested and insinuated in their ears that have been told would define them but will only destroy them. And they are not turning. But we turn to you, O God, still. We pray over the lives. We pray that you might restore them. Restore them to sound hearing, clear seeing. And may they see the Savior dying and rising for their sins and coming to reign in power and judgment. And before you fall in fear and in loving thanksgiving and receive you as Savior. God, we pray for them. Turn them from their blindness and the blindness of the age that is coming upon our land. Lord, we see the dark clouds shaping all around us in this privileged land. May we all the more stand forward to shine out your light of the gospel unapologetically without any fear, boldly proclaiming it and praying it over our children and praying it over our land. But God, may we not stop here. We still are the privileged ones. May we pray for those who have not heard and pray that you would send forth more to those places. Even these children we pray for. Turn their hearts to you and send them out from us to the regions beyond, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. And for this prayer, God, who gave the Holy Spirit to empower our witness of Christ, also gave his Spirit to teach us how to pray. Paul said, we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit helps us. God help us to pray. You've been listening to the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. For a copy of this broadcast, just call us at 208-331-4096. Until the next time, God bless you.